0: Okay, this morning we're going to go into as as we said yesterday, go into propitiation, substitution, and reconciliation. We talked about this somewhat yesterday morning, just kind of laying a brief, a foundation, but very important foundation. But again, that word. When we talk about propitiation in the, in the old covenant, it was called the atonement, atonement. And the way that we are to understand that, obviously, it's, it's in the fact that in Genesis 22 and verse eight, where Abraham said to his son, Isaac, and, the, and they were the type, the father and the son, and dealing with the, the sin issue, that was propitiation. They actually went in Genesis 22 and verse eight, in Genesis 22 and verse 8, it said, it, where it said that God would provide himself a sacrifice. And that's what it really was saying, that God would provide himself with an atonement, with a propitiatory sacrifice. And that sacrifice was, and still is, for many, the Son. Again, There's a lot of controversy here about that teaching, which is very crystal clear in the scriptures. I mean, it's very, very clear in the scriptures. In Genesis 22 in verse eight, that was God himself providing himself a propitiatory sacrifice, which was Christ his son. That's what it brings out very, very clearly in, in the scriptures. Now there's a lot of controversy as was said that has gone on down through the ages about this truth. About our time, and when I say our time, I say from Acts the second chapter is when the church actually began. When, when Christ was crucified, he would, went down, he was buried, he was in the grave for three days. He rose and sent down the Holy Spirit to establish a brand new thing, never heard of in all the Old Covenant at all, a brand new thing was to establish the church, one that he would be so desirous of having an intimacy with, and he provided that. And that was based upon atonement, which is where we said the word atonement is where the Septuagint takes the the Hebrew, and translates it over into the Greek. And that is the two words that it it translates is, atonement is kafar, K-A-P-H-E-R, it's kafar. It's translated over into our language, which is what? It's a propitiation and, and that is where we have reconciliation. And the word there is katalage, and we have that based upon Christ and what he's accomplished. But down, as I said, through approximately Acts, the second chapter, and through this process and through the centuries, was there were two particular men that really didn't understand fully the truth. And this is what makes so very imperative for all of us to understand the things that are ours in Christ and to have a crystal clear understanding. One of them's names was was Joseph Arminius. And this is where you get Arminian teaching. Joseph Arminian. And then you have John Calvin where you have Calvinistic teaching. And any time that the will of man Tries to function on his own to come up, to to come up with the thoughts of God using the scriptures, it, it amounts to in Second Peter 1.20, everything that God did between the Father and the Son, and that was all accomplished. Again, propitiation, substitution, and reconciliation was between God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son, and that's why we say the only one, the only theologian, theo, God, logian, word, logia, word, logos, is God the Holy Spirit because he's the only one can t- that can take in a clear, concise way what happened between the Father and the Son. Very, very clearly what happened between the two. He's the only one that can do that. But theology is is what is man who considers himself to be a theologian or a scholar is one who's mixed his will with the, with the word of God, with the will that Christ himself is that accomplished it all. And that's why it says in Second Peter 1.20, we're not to privately interpret the word. And what happened, and, and this can happen to any of us in the flesh, but what happens is man mixes his will, his thought life with the will of God and what Christ has accomplished. And then that's why it says that it was never given... Anything was never given over to the will of man apart from Christ. That's 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. Again, we said yesterday that atonement always brings in the reality and principle of death. There has to be a victim, there has to be a death, and there has to be bloodshedding. Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And remission is passing over of sins. It's very clear in the scriptures. So there had to be that. And we brought out yesterday morning, which was a really foundational truth that everyone should have the availability to hear, because it's extremely important, these, you know, the word of God. Yeah, honestly, is the most important thing about us. It should take first place in all of our lives in every single area. And thank God that we, by grace, can grow in that reality. But again, way back even in Genesis, in the, in the fall, in Genesis, the third chapter, in verse 21, there was the pre-incarnate Christ, in Genesis 3 and verse 8, they heard the voice of God walking in the garden and you know what would happened and they hid themselves because they were in sin and what they covered themselves with was not even enough. Not even. And again, the, the pre-incarnate Christ who is the very voice of God being the word in John 1, one, he took an innocent victim an animal there had to be a victim there had to be a death and bloodshedding And then Adam and Eve were clothed with the skins of the animal. And that was a type. The pre-incarnate Christ, before he put on humanity, in John 1 and verse 14 and Luke 1 and verse 35, before that he did that, he was teaching them that for over 4,000 years into the future, he would come, in Galatians 4, 4, born of a woman and born under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that he would come and actually put on humanity tabernacle himself in humanity to be not only the victim but even the victim but so much more that's involved in it so even back then they were clothed with the skins of the animals so for us to understand that is we are now clothed with Christ he even said to the Israelites, in Isaiah 61 and verse 10, that ultimately they would have the robes of righteousness. And we know in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30, God made Jesus Christ of him who's made unto us what? Wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. See, redemption. That has to do with a propitiatory sacrifice and all through the scriptures. And we see the beauty of that. We also said too that, that Cain's his sacrifice was rejected in in John and Genesis four and verse four. His was rejected because Cain, it says, in Genesis four, four and, and, and five, and you can see the difference between the two, Cain and Abel, Cain brought of the first, the very best. Best and where it says the fat, the fat there, when it says that in Genesis chapter, uh, the fourth chapter, when it says that, it means he took the very, very best, the most spotless, most beautiful sacrificial animal. That's what it means, the fat. It means the very best. He took the very best. And in understanding the type that Adam and Eve, his parents had taught them, he gave. He was giving the very best and recognizing that it took God to give his very best and that he would do that in the future. Again, this is Genesis 22 and verse 8. Atonement propitiatory. God provided himself with a lamb and that lamb was Jesus Christ. That lamb in the eternal mind of God in Revelation 13 and verse 8 was slain from the foundation of the earth. And so again, that is brought out. Came, uh, uh, Abel, I should say, in in Hebrews eleven and verse four, he brought a more excellent sacrifice, because the excellent sacrifice was the type that Christ would ultimately come to fulfill. Now, the word atonement, propitiatory, is again kafar, and it means in many. Uh, meanings to it, but one of the major ones is a covering. And this is where we understand, and we brought this out yesterday in Romans, the third chapter, and I'll just read that. In Romans 3, I'll read those scriptures that we had yesterday with the the foundational message yesterday. We have in Romans 3, it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3.23. Then it says in verse 24, being justified, we brought out what it means to be justified. We are cleared of all guilt and condemnation in the courtroom of God's justice because Jesus Christ is our retaining lawyer. He represents us. And of course, he's still doing that, still representing us because he bought us in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. So he represents us and brings us constantly before the Lord in Romans 8 and verse 34, in Hebrews 7 and verse 25, and in Hebrews 9 and verse 26. He's always interceding for us because we were bought. He wasn't able to buy all. He only, the only ones that he bought were the ones and the only ones that had their sins dealt with by Himself, Jesus Christ. Now, we know because the Bible never, we brought this out yesterday, the Bible never teaches that Jesus Christ paid for the sins of the whole world. Never says that in the original, ever. Now, so Romans 3, verse 24, it says, being justified freely, being cleared of all guilt and condemnation by grace. Again, we brought out yesterday in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, you are saved by grace the unmerited, undeserved kindness and favor of God, which is the Greek word charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, freely, you are saved by grace. We're kept by it. We're kept by that grace in 1 Peter 4 and verse 10. We're to be good stewards of it. And we're kept by it. We're kept by the power of God, which is Jesus Christ in 1 Peter 1 and verse 5. And even that, in Ephesians 2.9, is, is not of yourself. It's a, even, you are saved by grace through faith. And even that, not of yourself. Even your dependence is not something that was actuated by your own will. It was something that God did in his, in his anticipative love and his prevenient grace. Caused us with our will to go positive, to receive. And that's what Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, you are saved by grace through faith and even that not of yourselves, but it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained, eternity past, that we should walk in them in the midst of time. What an opportunity to be able to have the word of God that he gives us in such a clear and concise way so that we walk in the life and peace that Christ is and not in the confusion that is brought about through the enemy, through men's wills, not being submitted or our flesh functioning in it. But thank God, he never, in Job 36 and verse seven, never removes his eye from the righteous, meaning God's only view of us is Christ the way he sees Christ right now, seated at his right hand in Psalm 110 and verse 1, in Revelations 1 and verse 20, seated at his right hand, that's how he sees us. That that is exactly how he sees us. And so again, being in Romans 3 and verse 24, being justified freely by his grace, notice it's his grace, it was his son he gave us, who was filled up with all that grace and truth is, In John 1 and verse 14, being justified freely by his grace, listen, through the redemption, the purchase price paid for. We're going to get into these words through the week because it takes more than just a a surface going over uh, propitiation, substitution, and reconciliation. So again, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And notice in the book of Ephesians, starting in the first chapter, in those first 23 verses that are incredible, that go right into the incredible truth of the second and third chapter, all the way through to the sixth chapter, we are in him. We are in Christ. Thank God. And that speaks of our position. We are in him. And verse 25, it says, "...whom God has set forth or foreordained a propitiation." You see, a propitiation. "...through faith, through absolute dependence in his blood, his sacrificial death in his blood, to declare the righteousness for the passing over of sins." And what he's teaching us here this morning is through the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, is that way back we know that Christ in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 7, he is our Passover. He's ours. But he was Israel's. He's ours in the most unique, intimate way. But he was in Exodus 12, 1 to 13. Do you remember? We brought that out yesterday again very, very beautifully through the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that they were as the death angel was going to pass through the land of Egypt, the Israelites were to take the hyssop. And this is again, this is Exodus 12, 1 to 13. They were to take the hyssop, which would speak of faith dependence, dip it in the blood of the sacrificial animal, st- strike the two side posts and the lentil. Then they were to go in and feast on the lamb and eat bitter herbs. And what the bitter herbs there is brought out, not some of the ways that we were taught some decades ago, not at all, but that just simply meant that we feast on the Lamb and with that, in Second Corinthians seven ten, there is godly sorrow that never has any regret and as we partake of the Lamb, there is a godly sorrow, but it's never with regret and it keeps out worldly sorrow, which has to do with guilt and condemnation, never finished yet, because they refuse the Lamb who did it. So again, this brings out very clearly when it says this to declare in Romans 3 and verse 25, to declare his righteousness for the passing over of sins that are past. All those past the saints, as they looked forward through those sacrificial truths that were being brought out from Genesis the third chapter, verses 15 and 21, all the way through. So Christ would come. And as we've been taught, their faith looked forward to the cross. Ours, as the, fin- the work has been finished in John 19.30, we look back to it. We all meet at the cross. But again, it's for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance. Forbearance is God's long-suffering and patience till his son would come and he would cover kafar, see, kafar, atonement. He would cover those sins. That's what Job was saying in Job 14 and verse 17. He sewed up my iniquity in a bag. In Micah 7 verse 18, who's a God like you that passes by iniquity? He, won't, he passes it by because he's looking forward in, in what his son would accomplish for those who believe forward to what Christ would do. And then that bag of Jobs, like all of ours, was put upon Jesus Christ. I tell you this morning for me personally, a new fresh revelation. Just think of the sin. I thought of the sins that I can so easily do, the grossness and evil of them. They were put on his body on the cross. Oh boy, if we could, if I could think of that before I would even think of the foolishness of sin in Proverbs twenty-four. In verse 9, the thought of foolishness is sin. It's so bad. And a fool is, has in his self and only his self in Proverbs 18, 1 and 2 to live by. And thank God we don't have that. Christ is our life, as we said in 1 Corinthians 14, 33. God is not the author of confusion, but of life and peace to all of us that have been sanctified, saints, set apart. We've been set apart. We have... No right for us has been given to live for an old life that's been crucified. We don't have that rights. Oh boy. It would relieve a lot of struggles between Christians if they only knew, and we only knew, if only I knew, we all knew, that we have no right to live for ourselves. And and that would solve a lot of things like forgiveness, which is the confirmation of God's love. But again here... Again, in Romans 3, in verse 25, for the remission of sins, the passing over, and that's what that means, that are passed through the forbearance of God to declare, I say, at this time His righteousness, that He might be just. Was God just and passing over and not holding them accountable for the sins that they would trust the future Christ to come for and pay? Yes, He was absolutely just in doing so there is no evil in him let no man say when he's tempted he's tempted of God for God cannot be tempted with evil in James 1 and verse 13 there are those that will teach they as as some of this Calvinistic teaching that even the evil that men would do had to do with God's will so that they attribute it to him which is utter nonsense and extremely evil in itself So again, to declare in Romans 3 and verse 26, I say at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him that believes in Jesus. So in verse 27, where's the boasting? Who can boast? Who can boast? That goes right back all the way through to the third chapter and all the way through up to who can boast? No one can. No, we all stand, says it right there in in Romans 3 and verse 19, we all stand in an equal place. That equal place was all sinned, we all sinned and fell short of the glory of God. All. So that he could have mercy and grace upon all to those that would receive him. Now, again, this goes into the truth of propitiation, substitution, and reconciliation. We're going to get into these words This week, we're going to get into Tuesday, tomorrow, Wednesday, without any, any question about it, so we can have, all of us, a clear, concise truth of our proper image. Because our image has to do with propitiation, substitution, and reconciliation. So again, even as we said yesterday, we brought this out, that, again, even Cain rejected it. But Abel didn't. He brought, in Genesis 4-4, he brought a sacrifice that consisted of blood and fat. And when it says the blood and fat, again, it's the very best that he could give. What did, what did Cain do? He brought a few vegetables from the ground that was cursed and gave them, that, was a, that is a type of self-righteousness, offering self-righteousness to God, thinking that that would be enough. And Isaiah 64 and verse six, their, their righteousness, <clears throat> their self-righteousness is as what? Filthy rags. And we've done a study on that, and what that literally means and consists of when that is offered to God in place of his son. And God forbid. But even we see again, as we brought out, even in Exodus 12, 1-13, uh, to 13, we brought that out. But that we said yesterday, the whole book of Leviticus that goes into the burnt offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering, were all based upon an innocent victim, a death, and blood shedding. That's why it says in Leviticus 17, verse 11, the life of the flesh is in the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood and I've given it to you upon the altar to make atonement, propitiation for your souls, for it is the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. There are many that teach today that the blood of Christ was not literal when clearly you don't even have a physical body apart from blood. (laughs) Makes it crystal clear in the Bible. So not only... Did Jesus Christ, obviously, have he had an impeccable, not liable to sin. He did not have a sin nature. He had a human nature with, the, with pure blood that never had the taint of sin in it like you and I have. That's brought out in Psalm 51 and verse 5 and Romans 5 and verse 12. That old sin nature from Adam passed on to David, which he was saying in 51 and verse 5 of Psalm. And then... It was passed on, that old sin nature was passed on by the 23 reproductive chromosome genes of the male sperm. The whole sin nature was passed on in Romans 5.12. But it was never passed on to him. Never. Because that holy thing, that holy one, in the womb of that 14-year-old peasant girl, in Luke 1 and verse 35, was called the son of the highest and it was moved in this supernatural conception by God the Holy Spirit. So we know it was pure. And it wasn't just his spiritual death. It had to be blood that was poured out all through the Scriptures. We had a lot of that nonsensical teaching way back through the decades. And thank God for the truth that we have right now. Almost, and the Hebrews 9, of verse 22, And almost all things are purged. All things by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood, there's no passing over, in Hebrews 9 and verse 22. That's why even it was the blood of Jesus Christ that won us as his church in Acts 20, 28. And in Revelations 1, 5 and 9, are brought out clearly through the blood of the Lamb, we are made the kingdom of priests. In some translations say kingdom, we are made kings and, and, and we have priesthood. No, it's a kingdom of priests ruled and reigned by the great high priests in Hebrews 3 and verse 1, based upon Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. We thank God. We have so much to be thankful for as we celebrated uh, we had Thanksgiving on Sunday, but we had a, so much to be thankful for. We mentioned it in Ephesians 5:20 and First Thessalonians 5: in verse 18. But here we have, and again we brought out John 1 in verse 29, where it says, "John the Baptist," and he yelled it out, yelled it out with the, with the, the voice, the tense, and the mood that's brought out in the Koine Greek. Uh, new testament he yelled it out behold the lamb of god that takes away the sin never says sins some preach again we've said this never in the scriptures did jesus christ pay for the sins of the whole world that would be violating their free will to choose what they wanted or not and god does not violate our free will of course we know the enemy does constantly But in John 1, verse 29, it says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He propitiated God so that now the evangelist can go out and in 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20, as an ambassador, he can say, be reconciled. You have the opportunity to be reconciled to God because he was propitiated. Will you receive it? Yes. And you know what else? Once you do, you know what else I can tell? You can receive the fact that God was propitiated. It's the first step in salvation. You can receive the fact that God was propitiated through Jesus Christ. Then once that believer says yes to that, you can say, and you know, I have some great news for you. He paid for all of your sins. He did. Oh, he did. Hebrews 8:12, Hebrews 10:17. Isaiah 45, 23, and 44, 22 of Isaiah. He blots blots it out. They're blotted out. They are gone forever, never to be found again. This is bringing out the truth of propitiation, atonement, substitution, and reconciliation. But here we have this. We must distinguish between Christ as a propitiation for the whole world, because the sin issue has been dealt with, has been dealt with, but then he is the substitute only for his people, only those that would receive him. <clears throat> and this is brought out in Leviticus the 16th chapter. And we're going to get into these things in detail, in detail. But in Leviticus the 16th chapter, there were two goats, both tip of typify Christ in the two aspects of his work. The Lord's lot fell upon one. This had to do with Christ as the propitiation. That is Genesis 22 and verse 8. My son, God will provide himself a sacrifice, a propitiatory sacrifice, an atonement. That's what that's talking about. The Lord's lot, that's propitiation. Okay, this was Christ who was the propitiation. Then the people's lot fell upon the other goat. That was Christ as the substitute. John 1.29 refers to the Lord's lot, propitiation. Okay, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That's what that's talking about. But in Hebrews 9, and verse 26, what do we see? That Christ did a work on the cross, we said yesterday, in virtue of which every trace of sin will yet be obliterated from the whole creation. That's when he will... Baptize the earth and fire in Second Peter 3, 10 to 13, based upon Isaiah 65 and verse 17 and Isaiah 66 and verse 22. He creates a new heavens and a new earth. The first earth never goes away. It's never obliterated and done away with. We know that based upon Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 4, and Isaiah 45 and verse 17, and in Ephesians 3 and verse 21. World without end. The earth will never end, but it will be changed. Again, we know that again, even in Hebrews, the first chapter, in verses 10, 11, and 12, and so forth. We know this clearly. This is why... We bring up, the Holy Spirit brings up, I should say, brings up the preponderance of all these scriptures to bring in, to bring sense into our minds so that we have something to depend upon and rely upon as a foundation in Christ himself, the Word of God in John 1. One is that very foundation. So, we see this. Again, Christ did a work on the cross where all sin will ultimately be dealt with. Fin- and the finality will be Revelations, the 20th chapter, when fire comes down from heaven after Satan is loosed for a little while and he's consumed with all those others that even during the millennial reign rejected Christ. Seeing him seated on the throne with the marks in his hands and in his side and in his feet and, and where the thorns went through his, his scalp and came out. And we've said some of those thorns were over six inches long when they were woven into a bowl and jammed on his head by the Navy SEALs of the day, the elite. And uh, then they still reject him with Satan. They'll run right to his banner again when he's loosed for, for a time. And out he comes, and then fire comes down, and they're done away with. Then there's the great white throne judgment for all... Those that did not deal, have their sins dealt with. They functioned in them, and that was called their works. And there was no payment found for them. They weren't ransomed. They were not redeemed. And we see that clearly in the Scriptures. And so we see again how these truths are so beautifully brought out. Then it says in Revelations 21, 1-3, to I saw a new heavens and a new earth coming down. And that's a beautiful picture of Revelation 4 and verse 3, where now the, the, the rainbow is now circular, dealing with not just, not just the heavens, but also the earth. And that is where in 1 Corinthians 15, 28, even the Son with us will submit to the Father so that God can be all in all. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) It's so incredible to understand, to have this kind of truth that we have right now. God forbid, oh Lord, that we don't hunger and thirst after it, that it doesn't have first place in our life about everything. Thank you, Lord. We have so much to be thankful for. And so what we see, we see that in the new heavens, in the new earth, based upon the result of the work of Christ, he will shine forth the beauty of our, of our righteousness. And it's in virtue of Christ's propitiatory work that God has been dealing in mercy and goodness with the world and with man from the fall right down to this present moment. That's what we said yesterday in Matthew 5, uh, 45. He makes his son and his reign to go on the just and on the unjust. The just, sins dealt with, the unjust not, but still Bringing out his grace. It's called logistical grace. The details of life grace. The, the unsaved are still take the benefits of the sun and the rain. Would, the, would we have anything? Would there be life without sunshine and water? There wouldn't be any. And it's for the just and the unjust. But he's filled. He fills the men's hearts with food and gladness, even those that hate him and don't want anything to do with them. Still does that. And God, through Christ, having been a propitiatory sacrifice, has been dealing in patience, and we know love is patience in 1 Corinthians 13 and 4, and long-suffering with the human family. And is in virtue. it is in the very virtue of that propitiatory sacrifice that the evangelist goes forth with a worldwide gospel for the ears of every creature under hub heaven. He's not going up to them and saying, he's paid for your sins, receive them. No, he's saying God has been propitiated. The son himself has propitiated the father. Do you believe it and will you receive it? Yes. Yes, I could never propitiate him. I could never satisfy him. I could never pay. Good. You do that, now I have some good news to tell you. Now your sins have been dealt with. Now they've been dealt with. The evangelist can go and tell every creature that Christ died as a substitute. Can he? No. But he can go and tell him he died as a propitiation. And when through grace, Ephesians 2, 8-10, through 10, that soul, that individual, believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, he can learn the further, calming, most comfortable truth that all his sins were were born, put on the body of Jesus Christ on the tree, and 1 Peter 2 and verse 24. And thank God He can He's our substitute. And that's what Hebrews 9, verse 28 says. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. It doesn't say all, it says many, many. Those that were his people. And that's why in verse 26 of Hebrews uh, the ninth chapter it says he's he has appeared to put away sin. The sin question. Propitiator by the sacrifice of himself. Again, Christ has never said to have borne the sins of the world. Furthermore, when you read 1 John 2, 2 and he's the propitiation for our sins, for our sins. And where it says, and also for the sins of the world is italicized. It doesn't belong in the original. It's never God's thought. Never. Never did. But those that were his, through their will meeting his will that actuated the whole process of that salvation and that continual growth that we have in the grace of that salvation. He bore the sins of his people. He's done a work in virtue of which every trace of sin, we said, will be abolished throughout the whole universe. It's amazing. And that's why First Peter 2 and verse 24 refers to the whole work of Christ's sacrificial work. It's a quotation from Isaiah 53. That chapter there, those 12 verses, incredible. The Septuagint version renders the word stripe. We need to be careful about the false teaching of healing in the atonement in terms of physical sickness. Never says that in the original. We went into that some time ago in certain messages. But the word stripe, we see, is a singular noun. It's the atoning work of Christ in terms of propitiating sin that that deals with. It's never natural diseases. It's never saying that at all. That word stripe, but the atoning work of Christ, that propitiatory work is set forth in various ways throughout the scriptures, like death, his death, bloodshedding, stripes, the cross. There's always a distinct object and one only object in these words, and that's Jesus Christ himself. And that's why for us, and we were going to, we are going to get into this in a much deeper way, in a much deeper way, because it takes time for that truth. To get into us. And there's the possibility if we can get it done in a certain amount of time, I would love to write a booklet about this as God would lead. But again, there's all kinds of obscurity, and Christians have the sunshine of God's very love through Christ in them as a treasure in 2 Corinthians 4 7. But do they even understand it? There's no shadow. There are, in a lot of Christians, in James 1, 17, every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning, none. But there's a good deal of obscurity, and it's been brought in during our time, started in Acts, the second chapter, when the church right began There's a lot of Arminian and Calvinistic controversy and it arises from not distinguishing or making a difference between propitiation and substitution. That's right. Because even in propitiation, when Christ was propitiating the Father, when that was done first, in that same sense, Christ stood in our stead as that propitiatory sacrifice. Because could we do that? Could we satisfy the Father with the sin question of the whole world? One individual it could only be Christ. Not only him. But he stood. But this is brought out in what is called, again, Leviticus, the 16th chapter, it's called the great day of atonement. Aaron, the type of Christ, and what he was functioning and how he was functioning, Slew the bullock and the goat, which was called the Lord's Lot. That's propitiation. And he sprinkled the blood on the altar and before the mercy seat. I want us to see that, how this works, in the preciseness of the scriptures. And the scriptures are very precise. They're very precise. And that's why we need precise teaching and preaching. for it to be crystal clear and again that's going to take some time for all of us we're all going to continue to grow in this but we can even see in Leviticus the 16th chapter here it is this is what, what Aaron would do he in verse 14 would take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat That's the type. The mercy seat, again, is Exodus 25, 17 to 22, and it goes into how it should have been constructed, pointing to Christ. And it was eastward, eastward. The sun rises in the east. It's a type of redemption. And from this mercy seat and this propitiatory sacrifice, Christ meeting the Father, we can go and say to people, you can have redemption. You can have resurrection life. And so here, the mercy seat, it says, eastward, and before the mercy seat. Notice it had to be, the blood had to be sprinkled, sprinkled before the mercy seat. First it had to be on the mercy seat, I should say, and then before it. See, it had to be on the mercy seat first. That's the propitiatory sacrifice. That's what that's talking about. Then, for any to approach, it had to be before the mercy seat so that people could have an approach. And this is crystal clear, brought out in the Scriptures. Time, we don't have the time to do it all uh, today. We don't, you know? And that's why we'll have time tomorrow and Wednesday again. <clears throat> but again, this, all this truth is being brought out. And we need to understand and not get confused by propitiation and substitution through Arminian and Calvinistic teaching and so-called theology, man mixing his will with God's will. And again, in Second Peter 1, 20 and 21. But here we see this crystal clear that it was before the mercy seat and on the altar that Aaron sprinkled the blood. The blood... "...was presented to God whose holy presence had been dishonored and offended by sin, the sin of the world, the whole sin question. And it was done by Christ by his perfect obedience." his perfect obedience and love to his Father in his being made a sin sacrifice. That's 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. God, the Father, made him, Jesus Christ the Son, to be the propitiatory sacrifice. That's what it's talking about. He didn't make him sin. He made him to be the spotless, pure Son of God. All the filth and evil of, of, of all of our sins were put on him. Boy, I'll tell you, that's very convicting. The next time I think that I have that I can fall back into another sin, just remember, and God said, just remember that was put on the body of my pure Son, and He dealt with it. Whew, conviction! I tell you, it's in in. His love convicts us in 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one 31 and 32, so that we won't be condemned with the world. And again, there is godly sorrow in 2 Corinthians seven ten, but it's never with regret. But worldly sorrow has plenty of regret. And that's what the enemy wants us to live in, in our experience, because we don't have positional truth being taught crystal clear to us in the in preciseness of the love of God and what has been accomplished through through Jesus Christ. And so again... That work was wrought by Jesus Christ. That goes into even Numbers 23 and verse 19 to 23. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should ever change his mind. Has, has he not said it and will he not do it? Has he not spoken and will it not come to pass? He has not beheld iniquity and sin in Jacob. He hasn't. He didn't because he knew, God knew that that was, he was passing over it perpetuatory, atonement, passing over it because it was going to go on Christ when he would come and put on that humanity. And even then, it said, oh, what a work, oh, what has God wrought, this work that he has accomplished in Numbers 23 and verse 23. As we wrap this up this morning, we're going to get into it, and I'm going to get into it in detail, and preciseness. And anyone that wants to know the preciseness and and the preciseness of it, and the way that God is giving it to us all, you can always go to a Word of Grace and look it up on the website and listen to the messages for those that miss it, for those that want this truth, for those that desire it. That's where we can get it. We can get it here. We can get it here and others can take it, and and like God gives it to all of us, and we can give it to each other, and then we can give it to others. But thank God that we have this truth. Our sins gave occasion to it, <clears throat> to that propitiatory sacrifice. But God Himself was glorified in it. He was completely satisfied. He's completely satisfied in what His Son accomplished to Him in propitiation. And now God the Father—it brings out John three sixteen. So now God is free to so love the world. That he gave his only begotten son. This is understanding John 3 and verse 16, precisely. That whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Not everlasting life, but eternal life. Zoe, Z-O-E, long E, Z-O-E, Zoe, eternal life. That life that his son is in us. In 1 John 5 and verse 11, that life that he's given us to know the Father in John 17, 2 and 3, based upon the work that he finished In John 17, verses 4 and 5, brought out beautifully, beautifully in the answered prayer of Jesus Christ. And that is the Lord's Prayer in John 17. Those 26 verses are the summation of of the most intimate relationship while Christ was on the earth with his Father. It's brought out so beautifully. And it has to do with propitiation, substitution, and reconciliation. And what a beautiful thing this is. But we're going to go into it and understand the differences, the differences between these certain things. And I'll just say this as I close this morning. Uh, Joseph Arminian, Arminius, he taught that, and he only emphasized, the only thing that he emphasized was repitiation. He did not emphasize substitution. Calvin the only thing that he emphasizes in the falseness of his teaching was substitution. And there's a lot of confusion as a result of these things. But we're going to bring this out in detail. I didn't even have the, the time to bring out this morning what we, how we've been ransomed. And I'm going to do that through the week. By the, and I say that as God brings the word uh, through me as a vessel and, and to me and through me, through me with all of us together. We can have this. And, and understanding in Matthew twenty twenty eight and Mark 10, and verse 45, Jesus Christ came not to be ministered unto. Boy, I wish we could understand that. How many think they're doing a work of God when they haven't even sat at his feet to, give, to receive the life that does the actual service in the vessel? That's Luke 10, 38 to 42. They're so busy. And the enemy would have Christians thinking that they're so busy serving God and doing it without Christ. But Christ came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. And then when he does minister, now you become. Now your life is not living for yourself. Your own details, your own plans, the, own, the, own, the things that you think that you can't do. He didn't come to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom. What does it say? For all? No, for many. It's brought out crystal clear. Things we think that we can't do because we look to ourselves because that's what we're doing and not looking to him. We would be shocked about what we could do. Some of the things that we could do, even in our old age, it is incredible to understand these truths. But when we understand them fully, we realize that God does give us the power and energy to continue, even in a weak and frail vessel, to serve others. And what a privilege that is to have this. But he did not come to minister, but to give his life as a ransom for many. Then we receive it. Then we receive it, right? And that's what Ephesians 5 and verse 16 is bringing out. Redeem the time because the days are evil. That means you go into the slave market of sin. People, you go and you minister to them. Geez, one guy had, <laughs> this one guy told me that uh, he couldn't come to work one day. And I said, why? He says, because I got a bone in my leg. Yeah, so do I. <laughs> <What> a, <laughs> I got a bone. That was an excuse, by the way. It's kind of like a joke, you know. Wow. He gave us His life as a ransom. Go into this. That's what Ephesians five sixteen saying. Go into the slave market of sin and redeem them. Some of the things we can't do for others, boy, we wouldn't hesitate doing a thing for ourselves. Oh <laughs> God, amazing to me. Praise the Lord. But God knows. But God knows. Come on now. And that's this is this is this is uh, this is what it is. But thank God we have that ransom. We have a ransom. Christ himself. We're going to get into these words in detail. In detail. So that we can, we can quit. We can be in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 13. Even in our old age, we can function like men. And when we're weak, and we have these weak and frail bodies, yeah? But like we can receive power. All we have to do is be willing to give our vessel over to him. You would be shocked what we could do because because Christ has propitiated the Father. He's been our substitute, and we're reconciled. And you know, he didn't reconcile us just to live for ourselves and our schedules. He did it so that we could live for others because isn't that what Jesus did? He was thirsty. He was hungry. He walked miles. He felt pain, and he kept doing it. He kept doing it. And thank God we're gonna, we can continue to do it. As long as we sit at his feet and receive his life for us, you would be shocked what we could do. That he does it in us by his pure grace because he's our ransom. And we have been ransomed. So Father, we thank you and praise you for this truth. We're not even scratching the surface of this truth, Father. Not even scratching it for a second. But thank you, Father, for the depth of this truth that you've given to me personally. And I want to thank you for the energy and the power that you give me to just by your pure grace, just to serve others, to put others ahead of myself. And that's a privilege. It's an honor. And it's a privilege that many miss. Many, many, many miss. And Father, there's just such a depth of intimacy. I mean, isn't it even true, Father? In Philippians 3.10, I want to know him. How? How do I know him? Through the, through the power of his resurrection. That means getting all these beautiful truths about propitiation, substitution, and reconciliation. Getting all of these truths. Do you want to have a more intimate relationship with him? Yes. Then it's the, it's the fellowship of his sufferings. There's sufferings in serving others. And it's a privilege, but it's a depth of intimacy for those that give their vessels over to Jesus Christ. We would be shocked what he can do when we look away from the vessel and look to him to fill it. And Father, thank you so much for this privilege. And thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.